This is Roger Penske, and you're listening to Pit Pass Indy, sponsored by Penske Truck Rental. IndyCar fans, it's time to start your engines. Welcome to Pit Pass Indy, a production of Evergreen Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Martin, a journalist who regularly covers the NTT IndyCar series. Our goal at Pit Pass Indy is to give racing fans an insider's view of the exciting world of the NTT IndyCar series in a fast-paced podcast featuring interviews with the biggest names in the sport. I bring nearly 40 years of experience covering IndyCar and NASCAR, working for such media brands as NBCSports.com, SI.com, ESPN Sports Ticker, Sports Illustrated, Auto Week, and Speed Sport. So let's drop the green flag on this episode of Pit Pass Indy. Welcome to this week's edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V. We are proud and honored to bring High V to the show as the presenting sponsor of Pit Pass Indy. We will continue to cover the entire NTT IndyCar Series community, and our new partners at High V will help us tell those stories. High V is proud to be the sponsor of the High V IndyCar Race Weekend at Iowa Speedway as IndyCar returns to the fastest short track on the planet July 21 through 23, 2023. It promises to be the biggest weekend of the summer with two races on the .875 mile Iowa Speedway Oval and four of the biggest names in entertainment performing before and after each race. American Idol winner and multimedia superstar Carrie Underwood will kick off the High V IndyCar Race Weekend with a performance prior to Saturday's NTT IndyCar Series race, the High V Homefront 250, presented by Instacart on Saturday, July 22nd. Country music icon and six-time Grammy Award nominee Kenny Chesney will perform following Saturday's High V IndyCar Race Weekend NTT IndyCar Series race. The action continues the following day with another full IndyCar Series race, the High V One Step 250 presented by Gatorade. Three-time Grammy Award winner and country music power group Zach Brown Band will perform prior to the race on Sunday, July 23rd. British singer-songwriter and global chart-topping artist Ed Sheeran will wrap up High V IndyCar Race Weekend with a performance following Sunday's IndyCar Race on July 23rd. For tickets, fans can visit HighVIndyCarWeekend.com or call the ticket office at 641-417-6007 Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Although the High V IndyCar Race Weekend at Iowa Speedway promises to be the highlight of the summer, race over to your local High V throughout the year. High V, where there's a helpful smile in every aisle. When two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Joseph Newgarden won the 107th Indianapolis 500 on May 28, it was Team Penske's record-extending 19th victory in the world's biggest race. At Team Penske, when one driver wins, the entire team benefits. Ron Rozuski is the managing director at Team Penske and plays a vital role in overseeing the operation that also includes 2018 Indianapolis 500 winner and two-time NTT IndyCar Series champion Will Power, as well as New Zealand's Scott McLaughlin. Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V, had a chance to do an exclusive deep dive interview with Rizuski from the Team Penske shop in Mooresville, North Carolina. 
Joining us now on Pit Pass Indy is Team Penske Managing Director Ron Rizuski. Ron, we got a rare weekend off this past weekend as we head next weekend to Road America. As you do a little bit of a reset for the team, you're coming off a huge victory in the 107th Indianapolis 500. Joseph Newgarden's first win in the Indy 500. Uh, your other drivers have been highly competitive. Will Power had a fantastic second place finish in the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix right after the Indy 500. And of course, Scott McLaughlin has shown great speed all season. So at the break in the season, how do you assess how things look for Team Penske in 2023? Well, thanks. Uh, I would say, you know, it's a it's definitely nice to win the the Indy 500, and obviously that's on everybody's checklist. And you know, it's it's one of the biggest goals for us all year. So trying to get that done is huge. So very very ecstatic that one of our three drivers won it. It's always a balance, right? There's always going to be a winner, and there's always going to be two losers uh, at that event. So it's always a balance. But you know, I think in the race, um, you know, we had three competitive cars. And it boiled down to one guy getting it done. So that was really good. But you're right, all season, it's been all of our guys have shown speed. There's been, like any team can probably say, circumstances or what have you have precluded us from, you know, getting in, in victory lane every week. But we have been able to give, you know, some of the guys in victory lane on a regular basis. And, and we have showed speed. You know, Will had a good run at Barber, had a, had a really good and competitive card in Indianapolis wasn't able to capitalize on it, you know, had good speed at Detroit. You know, I think these guys are hungry and, you know, I think they're still going to just keep pushing as we go forward through the season. And it's, it's also the time of the year where you really have to dig deep as a team and an organization because, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty grueling first couple months uh, between the testing, between, you know, the time in May, we just came back from a test right after Detroit. Yep. We have a, a brief, brief weekend here, but then back to Elkhart and then the summer, the summer stretch really rolls hard. When you look at what it took for Joseph Newgarden to get into victory lane, there was a plan drawn out that the team really executed very well of how to make the way up through the field. I know that a lot of the talk entering the month of May has been to improve upon qualifications and one driver of your three made the fast 12. So what do you still see as being the area of improvement that needs to be made uh, to get all three drivers into the fast 12 and have a better qualifying performance so they don't have to work their way up through the field at the Indianapolis 500? Well, the easy answer to that is if I knew we would have done it and we would have been there. Uh, we have to keep digging. There's We made good strides this year and you know I felt like we picked up quite a bit and closed the gap you know to Ganassi especially and I think Chevy and Ilmore did a great job and brought uh, a really good product this year to the track gave us uh, gave us all the power we needed so there's still something there and even if you look amongst other teams there's a fair amount of discrepancy you know there was a fast car at McLaren and there was a slow car we've been able to figure out how to make all our cars really tight competitive but we need to move all those cars another half to three quarter of a mile, mile an hour faster. So that's that's really our next goal and trying to figure that out. Clearly, there's something we're missing. Regulations will probably change for next year with hybrid and what have you going forward. But I still think it's really important for us to figure out what we missed this year and uh, knock that out going into next year. So the plan to get into contention at the end of the race, I know that strategy had been mapped out in advance but from what I had heard at the halfway point of the race, you guys were actually ahead of that strategy. If you could explain how you map all that out for a 500-mile race. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you look at you look at how to position yourself leading that race. You were going to burn more fuel. You were going to um, kind of pace yourself because you knew that what the fuel windows were. You knew what the people in the back of the field were going to get for fuel. So, you know, we had a plan to try and like most people try and get as many cars as you can on the starts. We knew from practices, we had really good long run cars. Um, you know, I don't think it was a surprise to other teams. You know, many people had even commented to us that our cars were really looked really strong over long runs and in traffic. So we wanted to take advantage of that. In some cases we sat when we needed to sit and then we attacked when other people, you know, were at a, maybe on the, on the downside of their tire life. So both Will and, and, Joseph, we're able to march through the field. We were ahead of our plan, I guess, at the 100-lap mark. Will had a setback. Joseph continued forward. And uh, really, as competitive it is, is, as it is anymore in this series, you, you just can't make a mistake. I mean, and if you make one, maybe you can get back from it. You can't make a second one. And we saw that. You know, if you look at the guys that ran up front all day, really just no mistakes. Santino, you know, had a good car, stayed up front, no mistakes, finished third. You call the race strategy for Will Power, and Will said he had one of the fastest cars that he can remember at the Indianapolis 500 and said a weight jacker had broke and at that point really limited his controls of what he could do with the car. How frustrating is that when something as simple as the weight jacker breaking can really determine your fate? Sure, it's it's super frustrating at any time, especially if it's a mechanical issue. Uh, but I would say it, it didn't hinder us terribly it took away one of our offensive tools uh we didn't change in both joseph and will's car uh we didn't make any changes to the cars all day not we didn't add any wing take any wing out um they had enough scope of adjustment in their cars if will would have had his weight jacker it would have given him some additional adjustment and maybe he wouldn't have brushed the wall when he was deep in traffic um so certainly that was frustrating um you know, it's one of those things that's replaced and you, you, you test all these parts and you think you've prepared and 14 laps into the race, uh, a sensor breaks and then it renders the it renders the piece inoperational. So unfortunately, that happens. You know, how many cars don't start on the grid every single year? And, you know, we saw it again this year with Graham's car, you know, a, a, I think it was a dead battery or something. So it's just man, it's something about that place. And if you could evaluate Scott's run at the Indy 500 and also where he stands right now. Yeah, Scott was uh, hit a really good car. And again, he was just sort of the victim of circumstance all day. He admittedly thinks he made some mistakes during the day and he could have done a better job. But, you know, it's again, with the field so competitive, you, you can't have any setbacks at any given point. Um, he certainly has a, has the speed. You know, he's he's shown it. He's shown it in the first few events. He's not just road course and street course. I mean, he's got the speed on the ovals, too. It's just a matter of getting everything to align and come together. And, you know, once he gets on a roll, it's, um, you know, I think he'll be pretty unstoppable. Now, going back to Will, anybody who questions whether he still has the fire really needed to watch him race in the Chevrolet Detroit Grand Prix because he was really going after it. Some of those passes for the lead on restarts where he dove to the inside of Pelot to take the lead, those were pretty exciting. May have been some of the best restarts we've seen all season. What was it about Will at Detroit that made him so good? You know, that, that track... And some of these technical tracks are right in his wheelhouse. You know, he he really strives on that stuff. And he, he you know, he's, he's really in the moment, I think, right now. So, you know, I'm really hoping for 
hoping to see great things from him the rest of the year. He hasn't, he, you know, he hasn't said, oh, well, Pelot's walked away from it and there's no way for the championship. It's, it's actually the opposite right now where he's like, man, we can win this thing. You know, we can, we're coming up to all these events that we're strong at. We just need to keep executing. And, you know, he believes in his mind that, you know, he can go out and win a second championship. When Will entered the season, he had a lot on his mind because his wife Liz was undergoing some health issues, which she has battled back from appears to be doing much better. But were you concerned at the beginning about how he could keep his focus because it weighed heavily on him? Anytime anybody has some sort of you know life situation, I'm sure it has a, an effect on their performance, but it's not my place to judge, you know, how much or how little of an effect that was it's 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 only our position as a team to support him however we can and and make his make his day job as seamless as possible i couldn't imagine having to go through some of that stuff and you know having to deal with it but especially with the commitment it takes but i also know that they did everything in their power to make sure that you know it was the least intrusive for him it's not again it's not fair for us to say you know did that or has that made a difference but you know i i see him bring the commitment every week he shows up here he puts in the hard work that's needed and uh, at the end of the day it's just it's a super super competitive series right now it's a driver's championship and i mean you have to put in the work and you know i'm he's ready to put in the work for the rest of the year so we'll see where it goes joseph newgarden said he never wanted his career to be defined by whether or not he won the Indianapolis 500, but we could all see what it meant for him when he did win that. So how does that set the rest of his career now? Yeah, I'm sure every driver that hasn't won it has said that, but um, every one of these guys want to win it. You know, I think Al Unser Jr. said it best when he said, you know, you don't know what Indy means and whether it's a driver or team, you know, even individuals. I don't think you really know until you've done it. I think it's going to make Joseph an even more complete driver and really hit his stride. So it'll be interesting to see what the upcoming years bring. No driver in Indy 500 history got their first victory in more than 12 attempts. There's only been three that did it in their 12th attempt. That was Sam Hanks in 57, Tony Kanaan in 2013, and now Joseph Newgarden. So in a lot of ways, you could look at it two ways that Joseph got his just in time or Joseph could have won it in his 13th or his 14th or his 15th attempt. Yeah, I, I think the biggest um, compliment to him is at the awards banquet, all of uh, all the other drivers always said, uh, all of them said it, it wasn't if it was when. So, um, you know, as we all know, everything has to come together perfectly, the team, the driver um, and luck. You know, a little bit of luck. You have to position yourself to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, there's been, I personally can say there's been a number of races that I felt we should have won where we were in the right position at the right time and then it rained or something happened or an untimely yellow. And, you know, Elio should have had a couple more before, you know, he should be a five or six time winner. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a pretty un- unpredictable event, but you just have to keep putting yourself in position to win it. From your standpoint, how important was it seeing Roger Penske get back to victory lane at the Indianapolis 500? It was his record extending 19th, but his first since he bought the track from the Holman George family at the end of 2019. How important was that for you to see him be able to basically congratulate himself in victory lane? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's really cool for for me or for this organization to see him 
receive the victory in this capacity, but we look at it more so as, or at least I look at it as that victory is the only thing that we can give him that nobody else can give him. So I don't really look at it as any differently that now he's the owner and we gave it to him. It's just, he's Roger Penske and we're giving him something that he wants badly that nobody else can give him. So it's sort of a topping on the cake that it happens to be that now he owns the motor speedway in in the series. But um, the fact of the matter is we, we strive to give him that regardless. And it's just because that's, it's, it's really what he's all about. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. In the world of racing, Penske means performance and winning. For good reason. Since 1966, Team Penske has won 44 national championships, 17 in IndyCar alone. And last year, Team Penske claimed its Indianapolis 500 record-extending 19th Indy 500 win with Joseph Newgarden, the latest driver, to win the famed race. Team Penske also won its second straight NASCAR Cup Series championship. In 2022, Penske was the first team in history to win both the IndyCar and the NASCAR Cup Series championships in the same season. Team Penske enters the 2024 NTT IndyCar Series season with 236 IndyCar wins, including 34 500-mile race victories. Those are results that are tough to top. But Penske's legendary reputation for quality and attention to detail makes a statement off the track, too. When you need a truck, whether for your business or for a household move, Penske Truck Rental has some of the cleanest, newest, and best-maintained vehicles on the road. And we make it easy with personalized support from our associates, flexible reservations, and access to the top technology. With quick pickup and drop-off at more than 2,500 locations across North America, our scale and know-how will keep you covered, all helping to ensure you get the right, reliable, fuel-efficient vehicle when and where you need it. On the highways, the raceways, and every pit stop in between, Penske keeps you moving forward. Gain ground with Penske. Get a quote today at PenskeTruckRental.com or... For household rentals, download the Penske Truck Rental mobile app today. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy, presented by Hy-V. Here is more of my exclusive interview with Team Penske Managing Director Ron Rzuski for Pit Pass Indy, presented by Hy-V. Now, moving away from the Indianapolis 500, it was off to the streets of Detroit, a new race course. It was a return to racing on the streets of downtown Detroit, something that IndyCar hadn't done since 1991, beginning in 1992, with the exception of a few years it was at Belle Isle. Was that really a tale of two different race courses? Because there was a lot of driver complaints when they were trying to practice for qualifying that it wasn't long enough or wide enough to get a good gap when you're doing your qualifying sims. But in the race itself, it proved to be a very good race course in terms of action and entertainment. I think the track raced really well. I I think like any circuit, we learned some things from it and some of that feedback will be given to the promoters and, and some small changes will be made. But I think for the most part, it raced quite well. I think as far as practice goes, 
some unfamiliarity with it. Um, you know, the fact that it's a relatively short course. I mean, the fact of the matter is we see the same problems at Portland. We see the same problems at St. Petersburg. We see the same problems at Toronto. They were overly amplified here for two reasons. One, uh, some of it was being able to see around the corners, right? You're, you know, some of these other places you have a little bit more viewing to see that, oh, there's six cars stacked up around there. Um, you know, I better back up even more. And But at the end of the day, you know, the everybody has to assume that if 27 cars are on track and it's a 60-second lap, you're never going to have more than a two-second gap. So you're only ever going to have a little bit of room to work with and you're just going to have to kind of manage it. And some teams did better than others and, you know, made the most of it. So like anything, it'll continue to improve and evolve. Um, I'm sure there'll be some ideas out there, but it raced pretty well. So I, I was excited by it. From your standpoint, you're focused on the competition side and what the car is doing and how you can win the race. But did you ever have a chance to step back and soak in like what the event was? Cause it really seemed like a pretty big event. I did. I had the opportunity to get with um, some of the some of the group from Penske Entertainment and just look at it and give some feedback in certain areas. And the overhead views, I mean, they've Detroit itself has done a, a wonderful job cleaning cleaning up the area and, and making it really quite pleasant. The boardwalk every morning, you know, that's how we walked. We walked from the hotel to the track along the boardwalk. You know, walking to get some dinner at night. You know, again, like I said, the overhead shots. It really showcased Detroit and it really showcased what can be done, you know, with some effort. And also a lot of people may not realize, but it shows how revitalized Detroit has become. There was probably years where probably a lot of us didn't want to have a street race in downtown Detroit, but the city's been revitalized and rejuvenated. And this was really a way to help showcase what's going on in Detroit these days. What do you think of the importance of that? That's huge. I mean, with the auto industry in Detroit, you know, the opportunity to showcase, you know, that that market and everything about it is really, you know, it's it it's really nice to see that and show that to the rest of the world, you know, where where it can be. As a couple of years ago, uh, maybe even longer now, uh, those streets were pretty abandoned and all those hoses were abandoned. And to see the amount of infrastructure that's gone into it now and and the the revitalization of the buildings and all that, it's, it's really huge. And it just, you know, it, it continues to show where that, that city's going. So IndyCar goes from one of the tightest street circuits on the schedule to the longest track on the schedule, the roomiest. You're not going to have any problems getting a gap at Road America. The track's over four miles in length. Very long, very wide, very picturesque road course. It's been repaved. How is that going to change the dynamic of the race? Yeah, Elkhart or Road America is uh, is is one of our favorite events. Uh, I, I really enjoy going up there. It's it's great, uh, and you know you're right that they've done the repave on it. Uh, we fortunately had the opportunity to use one of our test days. We just came back from testing there. It's fast. Um, I think we we're three or four seconds quicker than pole time last year on a on the primary tire. So I expect I expect it to be extremely quick. The track takes rubber, so I think it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be pretty neat to see some speeds. And as the other interesting thing about Road America is that when teams decide to switch to the alternate strategy, they'll pit it like lap two. And the fact that the pit stops come so much laps so much earlier than we're used to seeing, and that's because the length of the course is so long. But from a, your standpoint doing race strategy, what is the ideal pit window to go with the 
regular pit strategy or to go with the alternate? So it really depends on the circuit and the pit loss time. And if you can make a, and, and honestly, in some cases, the probability of yellow, um, you know, a place like Detroit where the alternate tire had a lot of deg, the likelihood of a yellow is pretty high. It invites itself to some different strategies and some different ways to manipulate it. Plus the pit loss time was only about 20 seconds. So the pit loss time in Elkhart will be, I don't know, it's probably somewhere around 36 or 40 seconds, something like, maybe 36 seconds, I can't remember. So it's probably double that. Unlikely for a full course yellow, you know, there's probably some local yellows. And if there is, it's probably not in the right timing. With a four mile track, you have pretty small pit windows. So it's a lot tougher to be off strategy there because you have to overcome that pit penalty. And it's pretty difficult to, you know, in, in such a short race of so 14 uh, you have like 14 laps to make up that pit penalty. You'd have to be significantly faster. So, you know, it's really circuit and pit penalty and somewhat track related to how you approach it. So how long are your pit windows? Uh, I haven't done, we'll have to revise it there. It's probably going to be a two lap window only at, at Road America, especially if we're, if we're running um, faster, we're going to be burning more fuel. So uh, it's probably going to be pretty small pit windows. So you want to pit around for a normal strategy or or a longer uh, three-stop, or you want to go around four, lap 14, or how does that all work? Yeah, I have to – honestly, I have to refresh myself again with the, with, with the complete details of, of Road America. But usually you have a pretty much a, uh, a one- to two-lap window, and – you know, there's there's not a lot of wiggle room there because of the pit penalty. So you can't make up enough time on track relevant to the people that are doing one less stop to get back in the game unless there were a full course caution. So um, that's that's really what it boils down to. And of course, the two stoppers are going fast enough to stay ahead of the competition while conserving fuels. And the extra pit stoppers are the ones that can just let it rip. And uh, generally, how big a gamble is that to go with either strategy? Again, it depends on the circuit and the likelihood of multiple yellows. Um, you know, if you catch a mistimed yellow and you happen to be in one of those strategies. So, for instance, at, at uh, Barber, the Penske team went with a three-stop strategy. Most teams went with two-stop strategy. When that yellow came out, it actually hurt us on the three-stop strategy because it allowed the teams on the two-stop strategy to, to, you know, conserve some fuel. So we were actually building a lead, which would have helped us, but in, in, in retrospect, it actually hindered us and it helped the two-stoppers. So it's, it's really just a, um, a sliding scale of time and, uh, and risk. And, when that yellow comes out, when the pitch closes, can work for you or against you. And is Road America perhaps outside of the Indy 500, of course, which is, you know, the biggest race on the planet, is the weekend at Road America one of the most favorite times for any race team to be able to just go? It's summer in Wisconsin. It's scenic. And it's just a cool place to spend a weekend. Yeah, I, th I think for sure. I mean, everybody kind of needs sort of that take a deep breath moment. And, you know, Road America is one of those places you see all the campers out there. You see, 
generally speaking, the weather's nice. You know, there's not very humid. It's kind of cool days. Um, it's a very scenic track. Uh, there's a vibe around it, just like there is Mid Ohio and some of these more historic tracks. Um, it's just a, a good overall feeling being there. Uh, makes it kind of a little bit less stressful from that aspect. And uh, yeah, it's certainly something that we all look forward to. We'll be right back to Pit Pass Indy after this short break. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V. And now, here's the rest of my exclusive interview with Ron Rizuski, the managing director at Team Penske. Now, I want to skip ahead of July, skip past mid-Ohio, skip past Toronto, and focus on the High V IndyCar doubleheader weekend at Iowa Speedway. It's the only doubleheader weekend of the season, from a team standpoint, describe how you approach a doubleheader and what you need to be prepared for. So the biggest thing going into the doubleheader weekends is you have to be prepared to for the worst case in that you have carnage, right? That you're either collected in something or you have to repair something and how to be best situated for the next day's event. So that's probably the biggest preparation that has to be done and making sure that you have uh, enough components ready, um, whether it's cars, parts, subassemblies, just everything ready to be able to turn around uh, rapidly. So that's logistically the biggest thing. Um, the next thing is to you know just basically be best prepared on the performance front because it's essentially a double points weekend. So you know there's a hundred and uh, I guess 108 points up for grabs. Um, you want to try and capitalize that and uh, make the most of it. Um, historically, we've had really, really good runs at Iowa. And, uh, but again, you know, the competition is so tough anymore. There's teams going there and testing this year. You know, we, we all have to make our decisions on where we go and test. We chose to go to Road America. Some people are going to Iowa. Yeah, we'll see what it brings. But uh, from a preparation standpoint, you just have to be prepared for anything really. How many extra parts will you take and what parts do you need to really be focused on to be totally prepared? Uh, you'll bring, we'll bring a couple, couple complete cars and then uh, rear end assemblies, uh, uprights, wings, bodywork, pretty much. And unless it's a, unless it's a major crash where we, we damage the tub, we'll rebuild the car. Uh, so you have to, you know, you basically bring everything for the back of the car and bodywork for it. Um, and we'll, we'll have multiple sets of that. So if you're a three-car team, you'll bring one or two extra cars just in case. Generally, we'll bring two extra cars and then a third 
just rear end assembly only. Do you bring an extra transporter for the extra stuff or are you able to get it all onto the transporters that you normally take? No, we're, we're generally able to do that. Um, some of the stuff that we, because we have garages there, we don't have to bring some of the things for the tents. So we have enough room. So generally we're able to get everything there. Now, Generally, it's very hot in Iowa that time of the year. And I know that you also have a crew to think about. So how do you best manage their work schedule to be able to get the job done while making sure that, you know, they don't wilt from the heat and make sure that the crew is taken care of? Uh, we do things like we actually bring uh, some air conditioning units to the track, uh, some different things to, you know, make sure that the crew's comfortable, big fans, uh, obviously keeping them hydrated. You know, we have trainers here that work with all of them that educate them as to, you know, different things. And, and, and at the track, they'll keep reminding them about, you know, fluid intakes and um, electrolytes and what have you to keep them all, all working. But, you know, we, we try and make it as good as possible. At the end of the day, it's a little bit uncomfortable for everybody. So, you know, we just work with it as best we can. And also because of the tight turnaround, the two events, I'm sure that you make sure that the Lodging is pretty close to the track. I know Grinnell's pretty close. Newton, Iowa is, is right there outside of the track. How do you arrange all that? Because at that point, logistics are probably more important necessarily than luxury. Yeah, it's there's not a lot to choose from. So, there, you know, either way, you're going probably, um, you know, 20 to 40 minute drive. But, you know, we try and we try and pick places that have also some convenience where the guys guys and gals can walk somewhere to get a bite to eat they don't have to you know um, be going places in rental cars and what have you so you just try and look at convenience factors and and work it all in and um, at the end of the day try and make it as 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 comfortable as possible and one of the advantages team penske has is you have your own hospitality unit that services the clients and sponsors and VIPs and guests that also do the catering for the team. So how important is that? Because you know, at least they're going to get two really good meals to start off the day. And sometimes you might even bring a third meal in for them. Yeah. Whenever we have the hospitality uh, at the event, when we're servicing our, our, um, our partners, um, certainly we also take care of our team and, and, you know, they get well taken care of there, you know, nice, good meals and, and, you know, probably better than restaurant quality with our, uh, with the cooks that we have. So it's always nice when we can do that. Unfortunately, we, we don't have it at every single event, but uh, when we do have it there, it's certainly something that we try and tap into. And, and I know the folks on the team really appreciate it. Now you talked about, you have to be prepared in case there is carnage. Last year, Joseph Newgarden had a really good race in the Saturday race, won that. He appeared to be running away from the field in the Sunday race. And then he coming out of turn four, hit the wall and uh, was had to go to medical for that. If that had been in reverse, it would have probably cost him the Sunday race. So you're dealing with a very small margin with a double header. And, and how do you plan on that? You try and be proactive with all the parts that need to change between events and we try and treat it just like two separate weekends. You're just doing the service overnight. So anything that you would normally change for a separate race weekend, we change overnight. Um, in this case, uh, those parts were changed and it was unfortunately, um, we had a part failure. Um, that was the root cause of it was from the manufacturer. And um, it was something that we 
wouldn't have been able to foresee. Um, and, you know, so you, d- you do your best in all situations to try and prevent those situations. And, you know, that's, that's how we'll continue to prepare for this year. And from a championship perspective, it's double points that weekend, not double points for the race, but two races in one weekend. So how much does that weekend really separate the field of contenders? Well, we'll see when we get there, but, um, you know, it's definitely a weekend that if, if, if our cars can have a solid weekend, it certainly helps put us in a contingency of, of, you know, setting yourself up for the championship. Um, but man, right now I'm not counting anybody out. I think, I think it can go anyway. And, and again, you have to have, you have to execute two races in a row, which is, is really difficult. So hopefully we'll win one. Um, it'd be awesome if we can win two, but, um, right now, you know, you just want to, you just want to have solid runs by all three guys going into it. And in addition to Penske Truck Rental being partners of Pit Pass Indy, we're also going to bring in a new partner, High V. They've done a fantastic job in reviving Iowa Speedway along with Penske Entertainment, Penske Corporation President Bud Danker, Michael Montry and his crew. When you see what has become of that race, it was huge last year with the pre-race, uh, pre- and post-race concerts. It's going to be the same formula this year. What do you think of the investment and how High V and Penske Entertainment have turned the Iowa IndyCar doubleheader into probably the biggest event on the schedule of the summer. Yeah, I mean, High V's done a huge, uh, you know, they've put a, a huge investment into doing this event, and along with Penske Entertainment, you know, they've they've really turned it into an event. And you know, I, I think we need we need those kind of things that people look forward to and. Uh, I fortunate enough to have some friends in Iowa and even last winter they were talking about uh, going to the race this summer, you know, and, and the concerts. And it was, you know, in some cases it was the concerts and the race and, you know, everybody had a different way to look at it, but either way it's an event that they're going to go to and it exposes our product to, you know, to a lot of people and it created a lot of new fans. So, I mean, what they've done is really good and, you know, I'm super excited to see how it continues this year. And I even noticed uh, during the Gwen Stefani concert of the Sunday race last year, some of the Penske crew members having a chance to go out and take part in some of it is one of the enticements there, get the job done soon, and then maybe you can go out and see a little bit of the concert. Sure. I mean, um, you know, we're all fans of something. And and when you have the opportunity to, to you know, let some of the folks go and and kick back for just a minute, it's it's a great way to reset. So, um you know, we're fortunate enough sometimes to have some of the entertainers come by and, and that's a, a, a huge perk for the folks on the road. You know, it's something that not everybody gets to do. So, you know, anytime that that's available, it's um, it's really a, a nice thing to be able to give back. And when you look at ticket value, the chance to be able to see four huge concerts with two big time IndyCar races on an oval, a short oval at that. That's got to be one of the best values in IndyCar for any spectator to be able to go and take part in the high V IndyCar weekend. Yeah, it's um, certainly when people ask me, you know, what what track should I go to? There's there's a few of them that come to mind right away. Indianapolis being the first and foremost. You know, Long Beach is one of those that, you know, you, you kind of got to see it once just to kind of be part of it because it's sort of historic and it's it's on the West Coast. It's just kind of cool. But Iowa, man, that's it's right there because it's 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 just a, a good event. And like you said, there's the concerts. There's something for everybody. They have 
food truck areas there, you know, there's just, there's just lots of stuff going on. It's, it's really a pretty cool event. I know you've got a lot of work to do here at the Team Penske shop in Mooresville, North Carolina, but we want to thank Ron Rizuski, Managing Director of Team Penske, for joining us today on Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V. Yep, thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me. And that puts a checkered flag on this edition of Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V. We want to thank our guest, Team Penske Managing Director Ron Rizuski, for joining us on today's podcast. Along with loyal listeners like you, our guests help make Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V, your path to victory lane for all things IndyCar. And because of our guests and listeners, Pit Pass Indy, presented by High V, is proud to be the winner of the best podcast by the National Motorsports Press Association. And for all your shopping needs, be sure to visit your local Hy-Vee, where there's a friendly smile in every aisle. For more IndyCar coverage, follow me at Twitter at Bruce Martin, one word, uppercase B, uppercase M, underscore 500. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thanks to our production team. Executive producers are Bridget Coyne and Gerardo Orlando. Recordings and edits were done by me, Bruce Martin. And final mixing was done by Dave Douglas. Learn more at evergreenpodcast.com. Until next time, be sure to keep it out of the wall.